Welcome to the Next Step Business Podcast. I'm Bob Camp, your host. For each podcast, I'm inviting successful business leaders to discuss strategy, execution, high-performing teams, innovation, and more. Join us to learn more about getting the business you want and living life on your terms. Welcome, Bob Vanderhoff. He's helping companies working in interim and fractional roles, including being the CEO, COO, and divisional leadership roles. Bob, before we get into more about where you've been and what lessons you can share with us, tell us a little bit about you, right, before you got into the world of business. Yeah. um, First of all, Bob, thank you for having me on the podcast. Uh, I grew up in South Jersey, and my ticket out of South Jersey was basketball. I played basketball and always had a desire to uh, play at the collegiate level. And I grew up with four other brothers, and and quite frankly, uh, only another one has ever finished high school. So college was not a part of our thinking or encouraged by my parents. Uh, But I uh, latched on to basketball, and it really provided me the opportunity to um, graduate from high school, go to college, uh, and play four years at a Division three school, and uh, uh, it provided me opportunities. Uh, and after graduating from college, I figured out, okay, what am I going to do next? Since the NBA wasn't knocking on my door, um, I said, you know, I need to find something that really fills that competitive void that I felt uh, with not basketball being the, the center of my life. And I ended up getting hooked into business through uh, a job with Westinghouse in their electric supply group. And so that began began my journey into the business world. But it really was somewhat by not intent, but by trying to fill the void of uh, that I found in, in being involved in athletics and in the competitive nature of of athletics. Last time we spoke, you have your background, I should say your education. What what was your study area? Yeah, my study area was actually behavioral science, uh, which is a mix of psychology and sociology. And uh, looking back, the only thing I wish I would have done different was probably have at least a minor in business because most of the things I've learned in the business world from the financial side has been through hard knocks. But, you know, the behavioral science has served me well because, as you know, Bob, businesses are, it's all about people and getting people to to work together and helping them develop as individuals. Um, And so in that case, it's, like I said, it served me well. What lessons coming from basketball, playing a team sport, being coached to going into the behavioral sciences and bringing that forward into business. I understand the competitive piece, but there's a lot more to basketball than just being competitive. Yeah. I mean, if you look at basketball, I mean, you got individuals and individuals have different skill sets and different um, levels of development and uh, different levels of talent. And so, you know, part of the, the issue from a coaching perspective is how do you identify what those characteristics are and then how do you mesh them together to create a team that works together that highlights the strengths of each 
and mitigates the weaknesses and then help them develop in that team format uh, so they can be successful. So, you know, you think about business, it's no different. You got everybody that's on the team uh, from top to bottom. How do you get them to work together that's creating value for your customer and realizing that, for example, if if sales does real well, but operations don't, you know, ultimately that's not going to be good because the customers aren't going to be happy. So how do you work together uh, for a common goal and a common purpose? You said an important part there is I find that some companies lose sight of the customer. They lose sight of it's the customer that keeps them in business versus their job is to sell the product or service. How do you, when you get engaged with a company, how do you make sure that they really do have the right perspectives on who their client is and what's important to the client? Yeah, it, it's interesting. Um, you know, I'll share a story with you, Bob. When I uh, got promoted to a, a vice president of the business unit with Wesco, which was part of Westinghouse, uh, I moved to corporate, and all of a sudden, you know, after a month or two, I go. I said to the CEO, I said, "You know what's interesting by by coming here to corporate?" I said, "We never talk about customers here. You know, we talk about everything else but the customer." And so, you know, it always remained with me that saying, "Okay, customer focus." The further away you get from the customer, the harder it is to kind of remember the customer. So it's almost counterintuitive. And you got to remind yourself that, hey, we're here for the customer. What does the customer think? And, you know, as I've been in uh, many CEO roles, I always try to interact with the customer, get out in the marketplace, understand what's going on and uh, see the world from their perspective so you can tie that back into uh, the organization that I'm leading. It's one of the terms that I've heard in my youth and and when I was starting in management was the ivory tower, losing sight of everything else and just being stuck there. I remember later in my career, I forget what her name was, but she became, she was the first woman CEO at Xerox and the first thing that she did was she went and met with all of their major clients. And I thought that was just an amazing thing to do because Xerox was struggling at that time. And her focus was to bring the focus back to the clients. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I, I remember when I went into the uh, Sears Home Improvement business and one of the first meetings I had with the executive team, I, I asked them, I said, how many of you have been in front of a customer within the last year? And the only person was was the vice president of sales. But everybody else had never been in front of a customer. And so uh, their task was within the, the next couple months was to send them all out to uh, visit a customer so they understood what that interaction felt like and everything else. The other thing that uh, was interesting, that was a in-home direct marketing business. And, you know, basically it was a one-night close. 
and we were doing kitchen remodeling, which could have been anywhere from thirty to fifty thousand dollars, and our close rate was very, very low. And I said, "Well, why don't we?" I said, "I asked the question: How many of you in this room would do that on a single visit to invest thirty to fifty thousand dollars?" Not a one raised your hand. I said, "So why are we asking our customers to do this?" Well, that's the way we measure it. Was the answer? I said, "Well, let's change the way we measure it." You know, so you know, those are the type of things that uh, uh, that I think I kind of bring into a business when I come in. It's a, a different perspective, asking different questions, understanding not only <clears throat> why uh, maybe we're not doing well in an area, but really understanding why we're doing well and what are the things that are driving that. Because if they if they change, we know that, and we know what to do to uh, to respond to that. You know, a lot of times when things are going well, we tend not to ask them the questions. Going back to what you measure, one of the things that I see so many people focused on is how do we drive efficiency, but they lose sight of the effectiveness side of it. As someone who came out of the technology world, I think about the EE, right, the double E, which is efficiency and effectiveness. And you hit on it there is if your sales process is only meant to be efficient, then you lose the sight of of winning more business. Yes. Yeah. And I think, you know, uh, I was actually having a conversation this morning with somebody and I said, you know, we went through a, a phase and maybe we're not out of it where we acute, uh, where we uh, said that busyness equals effectiveness and you know, you and I know that that's not true. And so what you measure and what you expect is absolutely critical to, to drive the type of behavior and activities that you want. And we lose sight of, of what's the outcome we're really striving for and in, and in evaluating those measures to, to tell us if they are achieving that or not. In those executive roles that you were in and, and also in these inter and fractional roles, whether you're CEO, COO, what are some of the common challenges or the things that you have seen stand out? Which is so obvious. What are some of the things that you could just share with people without incriminating anybody? <laughs> yeah, don't want to do that. I mean, it's interesting as you go into an organization. Number one, uh, just by walking in, you can almost feel the energy level, whether it's a very positive energy level, whether uh, it's there's no energy at all. Uh, you also kind of get a feel for the interaction of the team. You know, for example, one time I went into a business and the CEO walked me around the, the whole business and never said hi to anybody. You know, and I've been in businesses where the CEO walks me around and he knows everybody by name and their family and everything else. And so you, you see those type of differences. The other thing you look at is is what where are they spending their time? What are they doing? Um, and is it really adding to the business or not? Or are they just busy, keep doing the same thing over and over again? So, you know, I always go into these situations not with a preconceived idea of what needs to be done, but really being open to understand its culture, its history, how did we get to this point, define where we're at, 
in reality of where this point is and then say, okay, where are we trying to go? And then match up, okay, for us to get from point A to point B, here's the delta and here are the things we need to to do to get there. Following on that thought, and I know that it's situational, what do you think are the things that the CEO should be most focused on? You know, I would say, you know, strategy, uh, people, and people, you know, it's one of those things, Bob, where I think everybody talks about and agrees that people are your most important asset. But a lot of times, CEOs, that's not where they spend their time. You know, in a lot of organizations, the uh, head of HR reports to the CFO or somebody else. And I always felt like, okay, if, if they're our most important asset, I want to make sure I have a direct connection there uh, to that. I think the other thing is, you know, setting the the expectations for the organization and the culture of what that organization is going to look like and, and value. Um, and I think the other important thing, uh, you know, you can kind of link it to strategy is, is the future. You know, I, I tell anybody that works for me that, you know, as a leader, you need to be spending 25% of your time on tomorrow. And if you're not, you know, you're going to miss either opportunities or you're going to miss uh, maybe some obstacles that are going to come in your way. And, you know, the downside of that is if you're spending most of your time on yesterday, you really got a problem. So a lot to unpack there. To your point, finding that right balance so many people and executives and leadership are so heads down in doing what they've always done. There isn't this raising their head up to see how the market is changing or maybe how their organization has changed to really think about what could actually help them improve their situation in ways that they haven't even thought of before. They're just focused on always doing it the same way. So give me a little bit more thoughts around you know, that whole future and strategy and how that affects leadership and business. Yeah, I think there's, you know, there's a couple things that I, I try to do. Number one is is be aware of what's going on around you and, and not necessarily strictly in your business. Because sometimes I think that's a, a, a trap we fall into where we just focus on our business. But look at adjacent businesses or even other businesses that have nothing to do with what you're doing and just see where what they're doing and how they're doing it and maybe there's things that you can take from them and bring over. Um, I think the other thing would be is to interact with people from different industries. Go to trade shows that have nothing to do with what you're doing, but it, you might learn some things in in that regard. The other thing that I've done, um, maybe not as much as I would like, but I got in the habit of uh, one day a quarter, I would go away. Uh, there was a hotel in, outside of Pittsburgh that I would go to just for the day by myself. And I would just think about, I turned my phone off and I would just think about the business and think about where we're going and you know think about where we're at and all that. And it just kind of gave me a day to clear my head and not think about any of the tactical things of the day, but really think more strategically. So 
I would clearly recommend that as a, as a discipline to put in on your calendar. That is something I think is is gold, right? That it's that's one of those elements. My first boss, one of the things he had me do was well, first when he hired me or put promoted me into the position, he called me. I think it was every day for however many weeks, I don't know, or months even. Called me every day to say, "What did you learn today? What did you do? What did you learn?" How would you do that differently? Or would you do that differently? Or how could you do that better? So those were great questions at the end of the day. And then he expected me at the end of every week to sit down and take an hour. And every month, take a couple of hours. But every quarter, as you said, it was this element of really just taking time away. And back then, you know, it wasn't so much the phone was the issue. uh, But I had to get away from the office. I would go to the library where I could sit, where it was quiet, and just do that. And we recommend, when when I'm talking with clients today, I recommend that, one, we're putting together a business strategy, which is long-term view, gives our vision and mission, and and looking at goals that might be two or three years or five years out, depending on the organization. But that 90-day cycle is critical. Based on what you're saying is, how's the market changing? What do I see differently? And if you do those other things that are going out and in gathering ideas, insights from other industries. I like the way someone said at one time, when you only talk to your own industry, it becomes pretty incestuous at some point in time. Your ideas are nothing new. They're only what someone else has regurgitated to you many, many times. That's how yeah. people stay lost. But they don't break free. So Yeah, no, so I, I, I think you're absolutely right, Bob. Uh, So the second part of that is strategy without getting your people there with you is futile. So how do you get people aligned, energized? How how does that happen in organizations that you've seen do it well or how do you do it? Yeah, uh, I kind of go back to the Sears situation. You know, when I got there, their structure was a a three-legged stool. You had sales, you had operations and service and there was no PL until it hit my desk and so I really wanted to look at how do you push accountability down to and there was 57 locations how do you do that and kind of wanted to look at a general manager structure but I never told anybody that what I did was I started asking questions about you know, why is it this way? Have you really thought about maybe looking at it that way? And about three months into it, they finally came to, hey, I think we need to change what we're doing. And they kind of, you know, they gravitated and I kind of let them run with it, but I gave them the parameters, say, hey, here's the parameters you need to work with. If you need to go out, you need to raise your hand. But really, they bought in and they, they created ownership over that and they did a great job of, of making that transition. And so, you know, and I think that's important. I think it's important to let your team develop the strategy, give them parameters, challenge them on it uh, if you're not satisfied with it. But, you know, to just tell them what the strategy is, you're not going to have buy-in from my perspective. You know, it's changed a lot over the years, Bob, because I can remember a time where, you know, the the P&Ls were kind of hidden, that only the upper management was ever 
allowed to see it, especially when you get maybe family-owned businesses or privately held. Uh, but I always thought, hey, this is the scorecard. This it, this tells you how well you're doing. You know, how's your revenues? How's your your margin? You know, what's your cost and all that. And if you're going to ask people to to be part of that solution, you got to you got to show them how we're doing. And uh, so I, I think it's gotten a lot better today, a lot more transparency about, you know, both the P&L and the balance sheet that uh, used to be uh, uh, well hidden before. Yeah, I do, too. It's, I still find that a lot of people don't because the tools are there. They assume, hey, we made a profit. There isn't this. Uh, analysis of going in and understanding how we make a profit or what are the things that affect our profit and are there things that we could do differently. So there's that, that's where a great CFO pulling them in, they're going to be able to help identify those areas, but also operations. Operations can come in, our sales can come in, you can bring the different groups in and say, based upon what you're doing, how can we improve this? Yeah, I mean, the other thing I think about, Bob, is, you know, the when things are going well and the P&L, the bottom line looks pretty good, you tend not to look at the individual lines as, as clear or as with the focus that you should, you know, and, and go back to uh, in search of excellence. You know, good is the enemy of great. <laughs> and so, you know, again, it's a discipline you, you try to instill in an organization that no matter what the bottom line looks like, we can always improve and we need to look at to make sure we understand what's really going on. I like the way you said that. I heard someone say, when the revenue is good and the profits are high, it's really easy to have clear sailing. But when you start having trouble, you start finding all the problems underneath. So it's, it's good to start finding the problems before the water starts receding a bit. Let's talk more about the people. With your psychology background, what are some of the challenges you think executives have sitting in their role that you could said this earlier, you can't just hide in that seat. What do you think they need to be thinking about? Yeah. I mean, I think today, and especially through the, the pandemic, I think there's new challenges that we, we face, you know, with retention, you know, the, the challenge of engagement within organizations and, you know, how do you, how do you deal with those issues and how do you make sure, you know, you get good people, you train good people and they want to, and they feel like they're part of the organization and they want to stay and they see a future there. And in my mind, you, you can't do that by sitting in your office. You got to be out interacting with people. You got to, because I always felt, you know, again, I'll go back to whatever business I ran. But if I went to a location, all the other locations knew what I was doing there because it got it, it got communicated through the uh, the underground, so to speak. And so, when you're visible, you, you're communicating a lot, uh, both in what you say and and how you interact. Uh, I'll give you an example. When I went to uh, location, the first place I would go to is the warehouse. And the people would say, why do you go in the warehouse? I said, well, first of all, those people are very important to our business. 
And number two, they know what's going on in the business. They know what's coming in. They know what's going out. And so, you know, I could communicate their importance and also get an understanding of how the business is doing. Um, and I think that both the retention and the organizational engagement, uh, there's an emotional side to us as human beings. And that's where I think, you know, how do we engage today when there's hybrid working, there's remote working, there's all kinds of different ways that we're going to end up working. But how do you create that emotional bond that people feel good about what they're doing? It's more relational than transactional. And I felt like maybe we were getting more into the transactional stage uh, in within organizations versus the development of the relationships. You know, and, and I'm not going to talk about the mega, mega corporations, but for most businesses out there that are whether you're a million dollars, 10 million, 100 million, or a billion dollars in size, finding CEOs who delegate those kinds of things to HR or to somebody else, losing sight of that, losing, to your point, that connection with people through the organization to recognize that someone walks through, even though they might know your name, but they actually walk through and shake your hand because, you know, there's 2,000 employees in this company or 3,000 employees or whatever that number is. But you know, shake your hand and just engage someone in meaningful conversation, ask them their name, call them by name. That can have a significant impact on just retention. If you save one person, it usually saves one or two people around them. Exactly. There was a business I was running that they would have a uh, a cruise every year that the salespeople could uh, qualify for. And I remember the first year, you know, I'd go, you know, tell me how this works, how do you set up. And the opening night, they'd have a reception. And everybody would just come in and sit down. And I said, no, 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 we're going to do this different. We're going to have a line of the, the management team and we're going to welcome everybody individually to the cruise, shake their hand, know who their spouse is, and know something about them. And, you know, it, it just makes all the difference in the world. And it was, you know, it didn't take really any more time, but it, it added that personal touch to it. You have to be authentic. And, and I haven't seen a CEO who didn't care about his people, just didn't know how to sometimes. And I think that's a, an element of it. But I, I remember working in an office many years ago, and the leader there, every Friday, did a cookout. And it was amazing. Everybody enjoyed it. It was a friendly thing. It was welcomed. It was joyful. And then he moved on to a new role, and somebody took over that role and decided to do the cookout. The energy was not the same. They were not thrilled about doing the cookout. They had to learn how to find their own way to connect with people. And it you have to find those things. And to your point, you can't continue doing what was always being done if it's not working. In that particular case, it wasn't working. Yeah, Bob, you made a good point about it. I mean, I think as a CEO, you, you have to have a certain level of uh, empathy and care for your people. The difficult part is it's not easy. <laughs> And sometimes it's easy to go work on a marketing campaign or go 
you know, look at some capital investments and everything else. But I always say, you know, working with people, it's like cutting the grass. You always got to keep doing it. It's never done. And so maybe that's why it's somewhat difficult. But if you can do it and you do it well, the return on investment is, is, is very, very high. Yeah, we, we tend to lose sight of what it really costs us when we lose somebody. It's not just, hey, I, I, production's down a little bit or I've lost this client contact. It, it's going to cost me a lot to get that person to replace mm-hmm. them, not just in the time to get back to where they were, but everything that was lost in between, which sometimes is unique knowledge in the, in the industry or unique knowledge about a production, facet of production, or a lady I know who retired as the chief human resources as a nationwide in university. When she retired, it literally took three people to take her role because she had all of this knowledge that because she had it, she could just crank through it, make this decision. We know it's a great decision. Be efficient and effective at the same time because of all of that experience. So it took three people to replace that. And knowing that they probably still aren't doing it as well as she did. (laughs) (laughs) But they eventually will, but not in the beginning. Right. We know uh, there was a business I was running that we could actually uh, put a dollar figure on the uh, cost of turnover, uh, especially in the sales area, because uh, let's say a new person come in, they came in and their close rate was somewhere between 10 and 15%. A salesperson who'd been there for over a year, their close rate was above 30. And so, you know, you could take and do the math and you can figure out how much it was costing just uh, from a, a revenue perspective. Uh, it was huge. I mean, you're talking well into seven figures that uh, that's how much it was costing us. Bob, before we close up, take a moment to think about this. There's probably a couple of nuggets you can bring to the surface as you think about the clients you've worked with and the things that that you see that if people just paid a little bit more attention to, maybe there's a, a detail or or the big picture, whatever it is, but you know, what can you reinforce what we've already said or what might you might offer up new? I'm not sure what I had to offer up new, but I would go back to the, the really the people side of the business. And this area today of, you know, I think about the engagement part and everything you read, you know, they'll say that a third of uh, people are an engaged third or, you know, they show up and there's a third that's disengaged. And so as you look at that, you go, wow, that is significant. If you could just, improve that uh, to get people into that engaged part of the business where they want to be there, they they make the effort, but it's a two-way street. It's not just uh, what the employees can do, it's what the management team can do to help draw that out. And uh, I think if, if we can do a better job of that, I think it will help with the retention aspect of it. And I think ultimately it's going to help the performance of the business. Yeah, to your point, if we just simply improve retention and engagement, things get better. Bob, 
I wanted to thank you, and I greatly appreciate your time and taking the time with me today to share some of your knowledge with our audience out there. Thank you, Bob. Yeah, Bob, thank you, and I've enjoyed it, and thank you very much. 